We all learn better when we're active participants in our learning. Today, we will explore how to engage and empower our youngest learners by allowing them to be scientists. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskel. And I'm Diane Smokorowski. Each week, we will bring you conversations with some of the most dynamic thought leaders in education. This week's episode is sponsored by GoToScience, a tool that allows our youngest learners the opportunity to learn by going on adventures without leaving in their classroom. We know that education will be the driving force for a bright, optimistic future. On each show, we'll introduce you to innovative ideas, we'll stretch your thinking, and help you see ways to empower students to affect positive change in the world. We are thrilled that you are coming along with us on this journey. Let's dream big. Presidential award-winning teacher Beth Heidemann loves bringing real-world science to kids. She's fascinated by engineering challenges, technology, and outdoor learning spaces. After 25 years teaching kindergarten, she's excited to share her passion and experience online with classrooms from around the world. Curtis Bentley is a lot of things, a scientist, a lawyer, an explorer, a drummer, and an Iron Man. His paleontological finds are in museums across the country, and he even has an extinct sea turtle named after him. Curtis finds joy in sparking the imagination of young learners and making them think in new ways. Beth and Curtis, welcome to the show. Thank you, we're glad to be here. Yes, very much so. <laughs> So let's start uh, with GoToScience. We've been talking about GoToScience for, uh, for a couple months now on the show. Uh, tell us the story of how GoToScience got started and some of the great things that have been happening. Oh my gosh, how did GoToScience get started? Um, it was sort of was serendipitous. I'd been looking for a way to go bigger. Uh, Mike, you and I were both challenged to go bigger um, in Washington, DC when we received the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching, and I thought, maybe it's consulting, maybe it's leading by example. And I never quite hit on what that next big thing was. Um, and enter Curtis with the background in science. And you talk about yeah, where and I you was, were. I was coming, I have a background in science as well as law. And so I had worked in science and particularly paleontology. And then I went to law uh, career choices. I went to the Department of Justice for a while and I went to the Maine State Legislature. And at that point I was getting sort of towards the end of my career there where I'm thinking, okay, where do I want to go from here? I don't want to stay here forever. I want to do something else. And, and, and so I ran into Beth and we started chatting about these things and concerns we had and it kind of one thing led to another. I had Curtis come talk to my students as part of a project-based learning experience. I had a class that was super excited about dinosaurs and fossils. And I said, hey, I happen to know a paleontologist. <laughs> Um, and I could tell right away that Curtis had an awesome way with students um, and they were so excited to see him and they're like you know about real things and you're so exciting um, and so that really drove it home for me that this would be a really um, productive and uh, good partnership so we got to talk talking about how to take this bigger and we spent a whole summer talking to teachers all around the world like what are your barriers to doing meaningful project-based learning with little guys, especially kindergarten, first, second graders. Um, what do you wish you could do differently in your classrooms? What's making that hard for you? And we sort of coagulated all that information uh, and 
with lots of big pieces of paper on the wall um, and sticky notes flying everywhere, <laughs> we wireframed this site and we thought, okay, we can erase the barriers that some teachers have to um, live streaming. We can erase the barriers, the, the challenges of finding um, virtual field trips or, or virtual guest speakers that were age appropriate um, and knew how to talk to small children. <laughs> Um, and we could erase the barriers of how do I know when I'm doing a project-based learning experience that I'm meeting the standards that I'm supposed to meet and that everything's all integrated. Um, and I know firsthand that takes a tremendous amount of work and time and passion. And one of the reasons I could do it in my own classroom is because of where I was in my life and how old my child was and things like that. And at other times in my life, I would have been less effective in doing that because my life would have been less conducive to spending so many hours working on it. So we wanted to support teachers wherever they were in their lives to be able to have these kinds of experiences. And, and for me to make a difference for kids to want to continue to learn and to be engaged and think beyond facts. The data you get at the end is not science. It's the process you'd use to get to that data. And I wanted to make sure that that is really important. And I think now and in the future, it will continue to be so. And then another thing you found, Curtis, um, in some graduate school work that you encountered grad students who didn't understand how to work through um, the scientific process and didn't know how to do research and look at evidence. And you thought, wow. Yeah, all that way. Yeah. You could see the students in my classroom at five going, hmm, so we could start, start this sooner. <laughs> One of the great components of this go-to science experience is that you go on site to do the research that's guided by students' questions. Where have some of your destinations taken you? Uh, our first one was out in Wyoming, uh, looking for dinosaurs, a particular type of dinosaur. We had a hypothesis out there that a certain kind of dinosaur could be found out there, but there was, you know, nobody had really looked, and we looked at the evidence, and we were finding along the way, and uh, the kids decided that yes, there was enough evidence to say this particular um, dinosaur, Deinonychus, actually was, could, was out there. Mm -hmm. So that answered a question. And then our next mission took us to the Galapagos Islands. Um, each mission has its own scientist, and that scientist had a hypothesis that there might be undiscovered colonies of Galapagos penguins. Scientists go to the Galapagos all the time and are checking the same places for penguins. And um, so we went to the places where they hadn't been, and shockingly, we didn't find them either, um, <laughs> which was actually incredibly powerful it because... Was. We knew going into this, that particular mission, that it was highly likely that that was an um, unsupported hypothesis. And it was great to get feedback from teachers um, talking about how their students, their five to eight year old students were just squirming like, but I really like penguins and I really like Curtis and Beth and will they be sad if it's not true? And, <laughs> but there's no evidence. It's not true. It's not supported. It, it's either not true or they're not looking long enough. Yeah. So that was the conclusion they drew. So I loved that mission. Yeah, I really did. I really did. Because I've had my reservations about it not being true. And, you know, in science, a lot of times it doesn't work out. And so it was so great to have them respond the way they did and follow the evidence, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And we've done Namibia. Um, we did that one on, on um, looking at herbivores and carnivores, a ratio there, and that one turned out to be true. And another thing I really like about these missions is sort of like, well, you have this hypothesis, but there's so much more that we do when we're there. We run into all kinds of things, and we bring all those things in to what we're talking about on the, on the video. You know, and so we, we cover lots of different things, which is exactly 
what happens. And sometimes when you're out in the field doing your research, you come across something and go, ah, make a note of that. I, I'm going to get back to that someday. And most scientists have this lifelong list that they'll never get to of all these research things they can do. And a lot of them discovered why they were doing something else. Mm -hmm. And the Namibia trip was fantastic, as they all are, um, for just we saw so many amazing things and when we're filming we're using GoPros and an iPhone and really uh, you know it's when the students are engaged in our missions and watching our field mission videos um, and in particular it, they get the feeling that they're there with us it, there's not you know no we do not have you know Sir David Attenborough's film crew but that makes it more more personal they really know that they're with us and um, of course there's hours and hours and hours of things that we cut mm -hmm. um, because we want to make sure that the field mission videos are on point, relevant, um, developmentally appropriate in their length. But we make sure to keep things in too, real things like when we're sitting in the car and a pride of lions walks right next to the car and the window is down and I'm going, Curtis, is it time to roll up the window? Nope, not yet. <laughs> you know, I let you see that I'm, that I'm nervous, but I'm cautious, and it, it they really feel connected to us as a result because yeah. we're we're showing them what's real. Yeah. Um, Panama, yeah, butterflies in Panama. We went to investigate mm -hmm. the hypothesis that blue morpho butterflies occur only in or near the rainforest, um, and again, you know, the students get to see all sorts of mm -hmm. amazing things in addition to butterflies. Um, and I should take an aside here okay. because <laughs> we are introducing rich vocabulary along the way there you know you guys are well aware of the research that especially students in poverty have a vocabulary deficit and so we work to help um, boost vocabulary skills as we are on our mission and so one of the words that we decided to use when we were in the rainforest in Panama comparing butterflies was the word phenotype well, it's definitely an easier way to talk about it than, oh, the size, the shape, the color, the texture, the behavioral patterns, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we use that word throughout the mission in our field mission videos, in the related lessons, and during our live stream sessions. And we had a teacher um, get back to us and say, I have to share the story with you. I had a mother walk into my classroom saying that they'd, she'd been in the parking lot with her son the afternoon before and that he stopped in his tracks. And he picked up a piece of broken taillight from a car and he held it up to the light and looked at it and said, hmm, it doesn't have stripes like our cars and it's not the right color. The phenotype just doesn't match. This is not from a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Tell us about the last mission. Australia. Kangaroos, Australia. it's live now. Yeah, and the next one's going to be Baja, California. We're going to be looking at some of the world's largest creatures. Blue whale, whale shark, yeah. big stuff. <laughs> so, so give me, give us a little, uh, a little sense of what is the experience like for a student that is that is experiencing this. So, obviously, they're going on these these trips with you in some way, and they're getting to experience it. But, but like, what does it look like in the classroom? All right. So, we love when teachers um, send us photos of so we can actually see what the students look like while they're engaged. But it's a mission unfolds for a student. They begin by watching with their class. The hypothesis video for that mission scientist and then depending on the classroom it's going to look different um, for different students because we build components that are highly flexible and respect teachers professionalism it is not a cookbook it is not do this then this then this then this and never vary it is here are the components which elements are you going to use 
But generally speaking, um, the students then, after understanding the hypothesis, will watch a field mission video and um, start to brainstorm questions. And in some of our older classrooms, like second grade classrooms, students will write those out ahead of time. Otherwise, it's you know the kindergarten teacher taking dictation. Um, and then as a class, they collectively decide which questions are most meaningful. And they gather at one of the, um, we have 10 different live stream opportunities each of the 12 days that we live stream during a mission. So they gather around the computer, um, usually it's projected, um, and they start asking those questions as part of that field mission. And they, they see and hear what other students are asking as well. So the quality of their questions really starts to um, exponentially improve. Right, they, they see they see the questions that come up. They do. Yeah. So they can see the questions. They aren't seeing the other classes, they're seeing us. So, um, yeah. so on a live stream, what they typically see is um, our intro thing, we'll do our theme song intro, we'll introduce ourselves, um, we'll go, we'll do some sort of get your wiggles out sort of thing, because we're gonna show you the field video for this, this episode, what we did last time is what it usually is. And a lot of times they've already seen it in the classroom, but. And then we come back and we do another movement exercise like we'll do the platypus swim or the kangaroo hop or something that relates to what we're doing. And, you know, it's just not jumping up like the kangaroo hop. It's just not jumping up and down. They jump a particular way. Their feet are a certain way. Their arms are a certain way. So they're learning then as well. It's like, no, this is how you jump like a kangaroo. We're not just jumping up and down. <laughs> and so, so it's a, you know, a purposeful kinesthetic connection to really mm -hmm. cement that learning for our, our more kinesthetic learners. Mm -hmm. And, and then, most of them are because they're four to eight year olds, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and then we'll answer questions and, and uh, then we'll usually do a couple word breakdowns or we break down some of the bigger words or some keywords. Mm -hmm. So and, we are doing phonological processing opportunities. But I know in my own classroom, it was like, oh, we have to do the phonological processing drills. This is like a natural build in and there's motion involved and it's somebody other than their teacher doing it. So that's mm -hmm. exciting. And it has to do with what we just saw on screen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then after the, um, the live stream opportunity, or sometimes before, classes can choose to use the lessons that go along with each field mission video. And so last week, we saw pictures from classrooms where students were engaged in a STEM challenge to build us a better camper van. Mm -hmm. um, because we explored Australia by camper van and um, learned firsthand that we could use some improvements. Yeah. <laughs> And one other thing we do in the live stream, we point out the vote feature because every week there's a new vote and we say, here, we'll give them, we'll give them the options and sometimes we'll give them arguments for and against, which is great because Beth will take, you know, con, I'll take pro and we're very respectful of each other. It's like, oh, those are great points, but what about this? You know, and then, well, it's not really up to us. It's up to you. You vote and whichever one gets the most votes, that's what we're going to do next time. And so we include that as well. So they're, they're really feeling like, okay, we're, we're directing what they're doing in the field. And we get reports from teachers that go to science becomes part of their classroom culture, whether or not we're on the screen. That, <laughs> that concepts we've discussed come up on um, you know, real world field trips, that they are motivated to write in their journals, that you know, they're using this language in the parking lot, um, <laughs> that it really just becomes a part of the fabric of that classroom. Before we continue, we'd like to share the sponsor that made today's show possible. Because we have Beth and Curtis on the show with us today, you know how incredible GoToScience is and how awesome it is for children to learn from the two of them. But we want to remind you that every month we're giving away a free one-year subscription to GoToScience. Here's how to win in February. First, go to our website, edforbetterworld.com, and subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Google Play. 
Then send us a picture of you with a sign that says, I love the Education for a Better World podcast. You can either tag us in a tweet or share it with us on Facebook. We'll choose our favorite picture that is sent to us in February and announce the winner in March. Good luck. If you've listened to our other shows, you know that Diane and I are really passionate about helping students and teachers create amazing learning experiences in school. We've worked with educators around the globe to elevate their teaching and to innovate in their classrooms. That's why we've created a brand new workshop that will empower your teachers to help students learn more. By more, we mean that the learning will be motivating, organic, relevant, and experiential. To send us an inquiry about our Learn More workshops or any of the other keynote or workshop offerings that Diane and I can provide, visit the podcast website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, the number four, betterworld.com. We hope to see you in person soon. Now let's return to the show. That what was really hard for me, and it's hard for many people when they get to the level they're putting together research and what they want to do, or they see something, they think, okay, but how do I test it? And that's where the creativity comes in. That's where the genius comes in, because that is difficult to get rid of all the variables, to test the hypothesis, to get rid of all the variables and devise something that you can do in budget that's going to work fairly well with where you are and what resources you have. It is difficult. It takes creativity and imagination. And that's kindergartens and preschool and all this. You're like, that's too young. No, no, that's where you start. That's where you start with this stuff. Because it's already on. We need to yeah. not turn it off. And, and we need to keep, fuel it. And keep developing it. Because yeah. that is the tough part in being science. That's the tough part in a lot of public schools. And a lot of things you do in life. Yeah, and, and I think, I don't think that's unique to science either, right? Like we see that in math classes. We see that uh, there's a big difference between being able to find the right answer to, a, to a, um, an arithmetic problem and being able to apply mathematics creatively to situations out in the world, right? Like I think, I think we see this over and over again in our education system that the application is just not there. One of my favorite aspects of go to science is that you investigate other schools as you travel around. So you can put context around the area to connect with other children. Can you share a little bit about that? Oh yes, that um, we've been to schools in the Galapagos Islands, um, Namibia, Australia and Panama. And we're working right now on um, finding a school to connect with um, in Mexico when we head to Baja. And it's been incredibly powerful. The school in Namibia, I actually got to lead a, a class there too, some classes with young children. Um, and so just we capture images during those school visits so that children in the US see what it's like for students in other schools. And um, I, we really try to, Best stereotypes and not just be like, oh, we're in, you know, a country that has this kind of reputation. So, you know, the school must be like that. Mm -hmm. I think students will be really blown away when they see the school in Australia that um, will be aired on uh, this Thursday. mission Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, by the time this program airs, that will already be out. But that was one of the most incredible schools I've, I've ever seen. And most American schools would be like, oh, I wish I could do what they're doing. <laughs> um, so I, I really think that's super important for students to help build that cultural sensitivity to make those connections. It's an outgrowth of the work that I did in my own classroom um, with, with Skype and seeing how powerful it was for students, even especially probably very young students. Um, I noticed that students tend to notice what they have in common first. 
oh, we have, you know, that, we have that. And things that I think they might notice, you know, the differences that I notice, that's like, oh yeah, whatever. It was like, we, we like the same things. You know, they run on their playground, we run on our playground. They like, you know, they like caterpillars, we like caterpillars. Um, so that's been really incredible. And the schools have been incredibly gracious in letting us visit. So Beth, you were, you were a kindergarten teacher for a long time and that's, you know, when we first met, you were teaching kindergarten. But obviously there was no go-to science for, for you to use as a teacher um, because it didn't exist yet. So right. tell me a little bit about um, what you did in your classroom to bring this kind of authentic learning to students. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I kind of went through a process. I identified what's the worst thing in my classroom? Where are my students struggling the hardest? Where am I really not doing what I want to be doing as a teacher? I would identify those spots. And then I would identify, what do they love? What are my students crazy about? All right, so how do I take the thing they're crazy about to make them more engaged in learning and to help myself become a more effective teacher? Um, and then I would look at the various resources I had. When I started doing this sort of project in my classroom, we didn't have access to internet, high-speed internet. Um, we lived pretty remote, I mean, I remember getting off dial-up, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> so um, we were a little late to the game in terms of um, using virtual field trips, but we'd have community members in, and once we finally did get um, more access to um, the internet and to the global resources, we folded that in as well. So our projects were as varied as the students. We had um, one group that really the things they were struggling with, they really needed to work on building a positive classroom culture and getting along with each other and, and cooperating. They really needed all of their literacy and math skills. Um, and they loved bugs and chickens. I'm like, well, what? how am I gonna weave all this together? Um, and so what we ended up doing in that case was um, creating a fractured fairy tale, which was often a framework that worked well for me um, in helping provide some sort of structure, but they created, they showcased their research and learning through the, a fractured fairy tale. They adapted the three billy goats gruff to be buggy bugs rough. It was a tale of cooperation and patience and integrated pest management. I, I kid you not, these were their passions. They're like, yes, we need to talk to an entomologist. We don't understand the role of the darkling beetle. I'm like, I don't know what the darkling beetle does either. Like, well, you should go to the internet and find an expert for us to talk to. I'm like, Okay, um, so you know, from experiences like that to uh, I had a group one year that loved history and poetry, hated drawing, hated it. They ended up writing um, a book of poetry called A Rhyme in Time that spanned. Um, we found a, a website that is now defunct, unfortunately. It was called Life Snaps, and it worked like Google Earth. You could zoom in and out of time um, the way Google Earth lets you zoom in and out of location. And they built this interactive timeline and created poems that went along with it. And then they, they hired one student who did like to draw to do black line you know, ink drawings that went along with all of their poems. He didn't need help writing, he was fine. So he was working on reading comprehension by reading their poems, illustrating them in the style of Shel Silverstein, which is what they liked. Um, you know, or uh, Hannah Fingathera, uh, the group of students struck me they were like miniature Gandhi they were like the most compassionate humanitarians I've ever met I wanted to cry 
every day in that classroom because they were just such beautiful children. Um, and they were really concerned with food scarcity. And so we um, Skyped with classes in Kenya. We Skyped with a teaching farm in Kenya. We Skyped with you, Mike, when you were in Kenya. And you became part of their, their story, their retelling of Hansel and Gretel. They, they turned it into a story of food scarcity and wrote and illustrated a beautiful book that, um, it, you know, our books can be seen uh, on Blurb. If you look at the Blurb website and search Kushkins, you can see some of the books that they wrote. Kush, Kush for Cushing and Kins for Kindergartens. And they're all out there. So, I mean, they were varied and delightful and it was great, but it was definitely a labor of love. I mean, what one of my favorite stories from your classroom, and I, I want you to tell it. I'm I'm gonna remind you of which one it is. Is the story about how you once brought an expert into your classroom, uh, and the expert showed them uh, showed your your kindergarten students a picture of a road that had a bunch of garbage on it, and you got totally the wrong reaction or or a different reaction than you expected. Tell tell that story because I love that. Yes, the the person who came in is actually uh, someone who lived in the town. He's a uh, his an artist named Alan McGee. He was amazing, and so he and his wife were in, heavily involved with the recycling committee. And so he's like, well, I want to get the reactions of your students to these chill pictures of trash, and we're going to make a public service announcement um, to help inspire recycling. And so he showed the children these pictures, and they're like, their instant response was not what he expected at all. He thought they were going to be aghast that there was this litter on the road. They're like, oh, I could use that to build this contraption. Oh, I could use that. That would be great if I, I could take that. And he's like... And we used that to actually create a book um, based on the frog prince called The Trash Prince. And everything, all the illustrations in that book came from our Take It Apart unit where we dismantled typewriters and vacuum cleaners. We started with essential questions um, that students wanted to learn by dismantling those objects. Um, but then we had a pile of dismantled stuff in the classroom. And so they used that to create the scenery and the characters and tell their story of recycling. Um, and we did ultimately get that public service announcement. It just wasn't quite the path that um, <laughs> community member had envisioned. And he, he loved it. He actually does stop in action animation. So he's like, I just love coming to your classroom because the children are so electric and alive with ideas. That is a classroom that I think we all need to visit. <laughs> the idea of, of primary students having their own voice and choice is built in. You're seeing, I mean, it's true project-based learning being done with little people, which is a rarity for people to reference. And, you know, as you've been traveling around, I have a feeling your professional learning has grown exponentially through your own experiences. What have you discovered about teaching away from teaching? I think my biggest takeaway so far is that if a teacher has a, just a little bit of support and and encouragement that teachers do unbelievable things that there are so many teachers out here out in the world that are so primed for greatness and just need the tiniest little nudge to take it to the next level I think of a teacher that we have um, that I was talking to just recently she's actually going to be featured on the local news in Maine because of the amazing things she's doing in her classroom she said before she started using go to science she wasn't um, comfortable really teaching science or science topics in her classroom. Um, she hadn't been involved with 3D printing, which is something that we also support teachers with. Um, well, this teacher is not only involved with 3D printing in science, she has taken our camper van lesson and is 
retro designing a file that we once shared so that her camper vans can actually have 3D printed bases and roll and she can use them then for other STEM activities. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that she just needed the tiniest nudge. It was all within her. I mean, it's just our teachers, teachers are like students. You give them a little encouragement and a little positive feedback and they can do anything. And so, you know, it's really encouraging to me that, you know, we get the, a buzz that, oh, teachers are doing the same old thing or teachers aren't taking risks or teachers aren't doing that. Well, you know, sometimes that's true, but often all they need is that little tiny push, that little tiny spark, that little tiny way that we can make it a tiny bit easier for them. And then they do things we never even dreamed of. So Curtis, what, what has been the most surprising thing for you on this journey coming at it as a non-teacher? I guess that teachers will take a risk on us and what we're doing because it is one of those things that's it seems so large when you look at it the first time it's like there's all these components to it but then I'm, i but then they turn around and we'll say okay i'll try it and some sometimes it's we get results i didn't expect or i wouldn't think they would do uh with what we're doing i'm um, like filling up a hallway with everything that has go to science versus the very first very first mission the dinosaur one a second grade class took their hallway and into this huge poster display like you would do in science and the teacher had them put down the hypothesis and the evidence and their analysis and the conclusion I'm like i've seen worse things at graduate you know at conferences than graduate students <laughs> so i was I'm, i was blown away by that and it's the same thing by saying i'm learning that just giving giving a little bit of opportunity whether it be to the student or be to the teacher um is making a big difference and I, that i have to say surprises me a little bit I hate to say that, but it surprises me a little bit. All right, so we asked this question to all of our guests. You've probably heard, because I'm sure you've listened to the show before as our sponsor. In one or two sentences, uh, if you could change education in any way to make the world a better place, what would you do? Fine, this guy thing is like to make a, a paradigm sh shift in learning, or so that learning involves um, something or participating in the, in the world in a real and meaningful way, so that it makes it relevant for kids and keeps them engaged and gives them empathy to overcome some of the things that are out there that really aren't, that are like a force without form is the way I call it. Things that you can't see that are going on around you, um, that you can't point to or touch. And I think that's a really great thing to do, a really uh, important barrier to get around. I would love to see a shift in the focus of learning from um, facts to the learning of critical thinking skills. And to do that through applications that build compassion so that we can prepare students for the world that's gonna be full of artificial intelligence and um, computers and machines in the fourth industrial revolution. And if, and if we can get compassionate, evidence-based problem solvers out there, the world's gonna be a wonderful place. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit our website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, E-D, the number four, betterworld.com for show notes, and to learn more about inviting Mike and I to lead a workshop for your teachers. And don't forget to check the other podcast-related goodies. We want to thank Beth Heideman and Curtis Bentley for being our guests on today's show. Credit for music on the show goes to Midair Machine. Join us next week as we go under the sea with oceanographer and virtual field trip pioneer Jillian Morris to learn about the power of video conferencing to enhance learning for students of all ages. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that it gave you some new ideas and perspectives. Through education and action, we can create a better world. 
Until we're together again, continue to dream big. And affect positive change. <laughs>